Welcome to the Great Lakes Fishing Podcast presented by Fishhawk Electronics. If you're looking for news, tips, and stories about fishing the Great Lakes, you've come to the right place. And now your host, Chris Larson. Hello and welcome to the Great Lakes Fishing Podcast. Captain Dan Keating joins today's show to discuss the Lake Michigan salmon and trout fishery, how to become a better Great Lakes troller, small spreads versus big spreads, and more. Captain Gerard Urbanozo is co-hosting this episode. This is an interview from the Live at Lake Michigan Angler Show we recorded in late May. Hey, it's great to finally yeah. hear you uh, sitting right next to you. Yeah. Uh, you're on the show a lot, but usually it's uh, it's through the computer. But to have you sit, if you can just pull up yeah. a little bit closer, that'd be good. It's a little intimidating, the golden it mic. It is, the golden yes. mic. Well, yeah. we always say that's where the... Oh, yeah. It's a pleasure to be in the <laughs> yeah. same show as you. Always the most special guest. Yes, yes sir. I don't know about that. So that's but. you. <laughs> How's everything going with you? Good. Good. I know uh, you had a great season this year going out and doing the salmon schools. Tell us a little bit about that, how that went. Yeah, that was, that was was that's a lot of fun for me. We did them in New York, uh, a number of them in Michigan, Wisconsin, and Illinois. And so it's, it's a lot of fun going around and talking to people and talking about the Great Lakes and just the whole, you know, the ecosystem and how the water and the currents flow and catching fish um, and all that. So it's a lot of fun. And you got something that, that you're just kind of starting out with, and that's the salmon coaching. You're doing stuff from all over the place with, with all different folks. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so the salmon coaching is it's, it's kind of something new that we're trying to do. It's basically taking um, all of my experience that I've had and then fishing you know, the last two years. I've fished with a lot of other guys around the Great Lakes now. So taking that experience and working one-on-one with with um, individual anglers, um, you know, it's it's done over Zoom. I've done it with guys on Lake Ontario on both the New York side, the Canadian side, Lakes Huron, Superior, and obviously Lake Michigan. Um, and, you know, what, what I find is that there's, you know, our fishery has gotten really complex. And there are certain things that are super complex about the fishery and the lakes. But there's certain things that are really, really simple. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, it's, it's like... Um, you know, the level of expertise for anglers is very different. Uh, there's guys that are just starting out and there are guys that can, you know, could be, you know, teaching all of us on how to catch fish. So getting to work with a, a wide cross section of anglers, um, you know, we use uh, Navionics. We look at the structure in, off of their home port. A lot of guys like that talk about what areas you're going to hold fish, talk about how the currents in the individual lakes are going to impact the fish. Because really, you know, while there's a learning curve to the tactics, the lures, you know, there's a lot of different ways to catch these fish. You know, there's not one way to do it, but you don't catch them unless you know where, to, where they're at. And that that's the big key for it. Yeah, yeah. finding the fish. Yeah. You can throw as many lures as you want at them, but if there's nothing down there, it doesn't matter. Uh, I, I think, you know, a lot of people probably disagree with me, but I think that on any given day you go through a school of fish, there may be 10, 20, 30, 40 lures that that fish is going to hit if you fish it right. It's not like there's one lure that they're going to hit. So. Mm-hmm. so let's talk about that. That's something that, you know, people think about a lot. And, and it's probably something that Rob and Mike don't want to hear about is, you know, you can catch them on any lure. They want, they want that one that, that yeah. they're trying to sell today. Yeah. But let's talk. <laughs> Mike's already laughing about it. But let's talk about, you know, if somebody's going to go out and, and go fishing and try to figure out that formula, how do you do that? Like, how do you get out there and kind of figure out what you're going to do to get started in any given day? 
Huh. That's a, that's a really big that's question. That's a loaded that, question. That is a big question. Um, if you buy my book on page uh, <laughs> 75, there's a list. No, I'm kidding. No, I, my books teach you how to choose lures for the condition. So essentially what I'll say is that there's a, there's a, there's a really big experiential curve. So you can start with, you know, there's online forums, there's, you know, fishing clubs, there's things like that where you can kind of find out what lures are working. Um, you know, that's a starting point, but part of it is that you, you collect your arsenal of lures and then you get out on the water. And then as you're picking the lures to use, you know, you're essentially going to use either a flash or fly, a spoon, uh, a body bait or a meat rig. They all have their place. So, you know, being systematic about it and then, you know, choosing the color of the lure, you know, is part, it really has a lot to do with how far down in the water column you're going. Um, it also has a lot to do with how the waves are, big, little, water clarity, sunlight penetration, what species are you targeting. Um, the books in the Salmon Coaching cover all of that, put a shameless plug in. Um, so you're picking it based on environmental conditions, the species you're targeting, time of year. And then as you gain experience, you learn that the lure that Mr. King's Salmon or Mr. Coho is going to hit on the beach or in 20, 30 feet of water is possibly a different lure than he's going to hit out in 300 feet of water. Mm -hmm. So it's partly just learning to identify all those little things. So, and then, and I've seen that a lot. I mean, one of the things that, you know, you talk about all the different forums and everything. One of the things that I see all the time is like the great lakes fishing page on Facebook. And that's, I actually, this morning was on there and somebody said, Hey, I live on Lake Huron and you know, I went fishing with my dad 30 years ago. Now I want to start again. Where do I get started? That's a loaded question, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Where do they start? You just gotta go out and try. <laughs> well, that's funny you because know. that was the answer that many people gave, yeah. and a lot of people said, "Oh, you gotta go to Captain Dan Keating and get his books." And there were people that said, "You know, check out Lake Michigan Anglers podcast." And there were people that said, "Check out Tangled Tackle." And there's a lot of different resources out there. You can go to the Great Lakes Fishing Podcast. And there's just there's a lot of resources out there at least to kind of get you the ball rolling, but get from getting that ball rolling to putting the boat in the water and getting out there is kind of a, it's a tricky, tricky thing. There's more information than ever out there. Um, I mean, so there's lots of places to, to start. You know, we have had, you know, sold thousands of books all across the Great Lakes and had tons of emails, calls, comments from people on, wow, it all makes sense. This really helps mm -hmm. because the books really do. They boil it down and they give you, you know, the parameters that you're working with but you know using you know facebook love it hate it you know uh not going to debate that but from a fishing perspective there's a lot of forums a lot of pages a lot of information on there so you just got to learn who who in your area is putting information out there um and then the thing that really helps is if you can find some other people that are fishing going out with somebody else doesn't have to be a charter captain that's certainly a way to do it but going out with other guys that are fishing and watching how they're doing it. And I have a number of friends with small boats that sometimes go out by themselves because they can't find anyone to fish with. So Right. And the other nice thing about going out, you know, if, if, if it's just you, you can run only so many lines. But all of a sudden you got two or three people in the boat. We get more lines out. And that's when we can start trying things and playing around with things. If you're out there with two or three lines. You kind of want to just be running your, your A-team. 
But if you're out there and you got nine, ten lines in the water, you can start running some B team guys out there and just seeing what happens. Yeah, and the more lines you run, the more you can experiment. And sometimes putting all those lures out there will help you figure out the fish a lot faster. Um, running less rods, though, you just have to work them harder. You have maneuverability; you can get really get on the fish. Um, but you just have to work them harder and be more intentional. Yeah, well, it's, that's something that we can get into then. Running the three rod spread. How would you do it? <laughs> I ran like a 15 to 20 rod spread most of my life. So yeah. I'm not the person to ask that. Um, just go far enough out where no one's watching. No. Uh, how do you do it? So you have to be intentional. You have to say, um, you know, what am I, what am I doing today? What am I fishing for? Am I fishing for a king? Am I fishing for a call? Am I fishing for a lake trout? And you have to pick your lures for that, but you really have to pick where you're fishing based on that. Um, and then you have to make really good, educated guesses about when, how long you let something ride. So I know a lot of people that fish with three rods, and I have a lot of respect for them. You know, I know guys that are over in Michigan catching their five kings on three rods. And to me, that's, that's someone who knows how to fish. So what you have to do is go, okay, if I can run one down, you know, I would start out you know, early in the morning, if it's aggressive, you know, maybe you're going to run all downriggers and divers. Now, as the sun comes up, the aggressive rods don't hurt. You have to make that decision to pull that dipsy and those two downriggers, even though they just, you know, had a bunch of bites early and throw out some lead core or copper on a board. So you have to like change which rods you run. So you're not just going to run two downriggers and a diver all day. You're going to run a combination of them and try to make decisions off of what you figure out with the fish. So, and I would still say the same principles if you had 15 rods out. You keep that stud lure in and then you take a rod, those other two rods, and you just rotate the lures and you change them until you figure out what they want. Unless you unless you know there's fish there and you've got the magic bullet. So for that guy on the Facebook page that's thinking about getting out there, what does that lead core rod do that the downrigger rod, the dipsy rod, not doing for him? So why make that change? Yeah, so a downrigger is more, you know, it's more, it's definitely more sporting to catch a fish on, so that's great. But the downrigger is behind the boat, okay? You know exactly where it's at. If you're running a flash and fly, it's kind of aggressive, shorter to the weight. You can take a spoon and you can throw it way back, 100, 200 feet, run it on SWR, light line. You can make it stealthier, um, and that works great a lot of times. But there's just times where the fish are spooked by the boat. And you got to get the lure out to the side. Um, and lead core has a more hypnotic presentation. It kind of, it's kind of got a, a dancing through the water motion, rises and falls. And sometimes for whatever reason, um, I, you're a biologist, right? Yes, sir. Yeah. So for whatever reason, these creatures with a brain the size of a pea will sometimes only hit a lure that's kind of going like that versus one that's on a downer under the boat. I have no idea why that is. It's pretty much instinctive. You know, they don't think like, I want a hamburger today or I want a carrot stick. Yeah. It's like, there's food, I have to eat it. Now that food is acting differently. Something gets triggered in a tiny brain and then they're going to go eat it. Yeah. You know, they don't have a choice. It's like, I feel like I'm going to go to Subway today or, or McDonald's. They don't have a choice. It's like, here's a food, I need to eat it. It's going to get away from me. Yeah. You know, or if they're in a negative mood, then you have to trigger something, right? Yeah. Yep. All right, Gerard, you got a, you got a question for Dan Dan? So, okay. So if you have a spread, how do you, do you ever work your flashers in conjunctions with the spoons to make things kind of more attractive to a fish? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, you'll, a lot of times you'll take, um, 
Is this with three rods or we got the full um, pumpkin patch out? Let's, let's say the full pumpkin okay. patch. Okay, so six, got, six. Yeah, got another let's small rod question coming Yeah, yeah let's right, say yeah. six. Let's six yeah. rods spread, two man spread. All right, so you got your six rods. So a lot of times what you're doing, if you know, if you're coho fishing, if you're lake trout fishing on the bottom, or if the fish are really fired up and aggressive, sometimes just putting a whole bunch of flashers and flies together is better. Mm -hmm. But I've always, you know, for forever, I've always wanted to put a spoon um, or in Michigan last year, guys were doing body baits for the Kings. You put it just below the flashers and flies, maybe under them, you know, somewhere in the vicinity, because I've always felt there's a certain amount of fish that come in mm -hmm. and they're interested in the flashers and flies, but they don't hit, but they hit that spoon. Okay. And a lot of times it's the biggest king of the day that it's that spoon. Hit the spoon. So yeah, mixing them together like that. But then all of a sudden, if you see that that spoon's catching all the fish, then you got six rods. Now you got to start pulling flashers and flies. Would that also affect the bite though when you pull the flashers? That's what you got to do. If you if you pull too many and the mm -hmm. bite stops, you got to put them back out. Okay. But I would never, you know, necessarily go like, okay, we have five flashers and one spoon out to start. I'd probably never go really fast to, mm -hmm. I got six spoons out and no flashers. You always like to have some in that spread. Okay. So. so you have to find a balance where the more you pull out and the yeah. your bite slows, then you have to put a little bit yeah. of some of the flashers. In, in, in a big part, the experiential part of this, um, I talk a lot about, with, I talk with this a lot about guys on the salmon coaching, is part of what you have to do is you're like a coach while you're out in the water. So as you're catching fish and getting success, you got to either have a file cabinet in your head and keep track of it, or write it down somehow. There's some great apps. You guys have an app that you can use mm -hmm. with the fish hawk where you can put that information in. I know guys that record every single hit and the lure on it. But what you have to do is also factor what's the weather like? What's the sky like? You know, am I offshore? Am I inshore? Is it June? Is it August? Once you factor all that in, you can really pattern these fish and you find that, okay, next July, similar conditions, thermocline is 70 feet down, cloudy fish are going to hit certain lures, certain types of lures and certain colors. It's not rocket science. Yeah. So that leads us to our next question from David Clark. He says, what's your go-to six rod spread for Kings? And your answer is going to be, it depends on what all those things that you just said. Yeah. So let's say we're going to go fishing tomorrow, right? Yes. It's going to be sunny. <laughs> we're going to have a northeast wind. Yes. After a big blow. What's it look like? Depends. It depends. I is is he on the west side of the lake, the east side hey, of the lake? He's, he's going out of Winter Harbor. Oh, you're fishing. Jerry's going to pull his notebook out. Oh, boy. <laughs> and it's after a northeast wind. Well, yeah. it's, uh, you know, the fish have been spreading out. I, you know, it, it's, yeah, I've been dealing with a lot of back issues. So I only got out on the water last week because couldn't stand up a few weeks ago, um, which is real fun. But anyhow, it seems like the fish are already in a June pattern. They're already dispersing. The cohos were early. They were more spread out. They're not behaving like they normally do. I think the fishery is changing a little bit again. So you've got your cohos spreading out. you got a certain amount they're going to be inshore, and a bunch of them have already drifted offshore. You know, it seems like we just now have more and more kings moving into the area here at North Point, Winthrop Harbor. Um, you know, so... After a northeast wind in that situation, typically it's going to take whatever fish that are out deep and it's going to concentrate them. It's going to pack them up somewhere. Now, those fish that were in 240 feet of water, will they be in 210 feet of water or will they come all the way into 140 or 150? So that's kind of where you got to figure that out. Mm -hmm. So I would target a six rod spread tomorrow out of North Point. I'd have two rods for Kings first thing. I'd probably have four rods for Kings first thing because that's what I like to catch. And they'd be two riggers and two wire divers, and I'd have two rods out for coho. 
Um, as it comes up, as you, if you end up offshore, you're not catching any kings. You know, I would still keep one or two rods downstairs and it'd probably be a downrigger with uh, either an SWR or a paddle of some sort and color. And then a combination, you have to figure out, you know, there may still be coals and steelhead on the surface. So those would be monoplaner boards. Um, I do know guys that were catching kings on coppers um, the last 10 days or so. So I'm probably confusing you at this point. So basically, you got to run a lot of different stuff. Yeah. Cover cover the water is what you're saying. I would cover the water column. I would multi-species fish if there's just two guys on the boat. You know, I would I would try to catch a big spag. That's what I would do. If you find that you get somewhere, let's say you're out in 150 feet of water or in 70 feet of water, wherever it may be, and you get a pocket of cohos, just finish off and put all your coho gear out, which would probably be mono yellow birds and divers. Okay. One of the things that you've said two or three times since we've been here is that you think the fishery is changing. How is it changing and why is it changing? So I think the fishery is changing in big part um, because our weather patterns have been changing. Um, our winters, when we have a mild winter, the fish seem to move differently. I believe there is a, a, a percentage of naturally reproducing fish, both kings and coals and the like. I think a lot of them are coming from like Huron, if my understanding of it is right. And from what I do salmon coaching with guys on like Huron that catch kings and cohos in areas that they were never stocked. So I think the natural fish migrate different than the stocker fish. Michigan is also spreading out where they stock their fish, changing some locations. So I think just partly that, partly the weather, you know. And do you think that's a trend or you think that's just something that's it's a, like a blip. I think nature constantly changes. I think there are some things that will never change. A coho will always hit a red or yellow dodger and a little green fly. You know, kings are always going to go back to spawn when they're going to when the biological clock ticks. But I think fisheries adapt, and the the forage basin like Michigan is changing. AOF populations go up and down. Um, there's other stuff for the fish to eat. The other species like the cohos and the rainbows, they don't just feed on alewives. So they will spread out and go wherever there's a food source. For them, it could be an insect. It could be spiny water fleas. Um, could be a goby. Could be whatever, especially for a steelhead. So they're just adapting. Mm -hmm. So we have to adapt our techniques too. And, you know, with that forage base always changing, what is that a product of? I mean, I, I know we, we brought salmon here to take care of these alewives, and now you know, that population goes up and down. We've got gobies here now that we didn't have. You know, there's just lots of different things happening. And how does that all happen? So I think things are cyclical, especially in nature. And we forget that the Great Lakes are an open system. I mean, they are connected to the rest of the world through shipping water, uh, ballast water, rather. Um, you know, there's more invasive species. The water clarity is changing. I think the zebra and quagga mussels had a huge impact cleaning the water up more so on Lakes Michigan superior and Superior than the other Great Lakes. But as those populations decline, the water is not as clear, so clear, but that's changing. So as the conditions, environmental conditions change, as the weather patterns get more volatile, we get warmer, warmer winters, mild winters, you know, that's gonna affect the recruitment of the alewives. How many of them are gonna survive with that warm water in the winter versus a, you know, you know, a, uh, 
really, really severely cold winter. Um, and so the bait fish levels are going to go up and down. Also, as the bottom of the food chain either increases or decreases. And the salmon don't just eat one thing, like some people think. They'll eat whatever's available, and they'll go wherever that food source is. So where do you see this fishery going in the next five years? Oh, I think this year is going to be really good. I mean, I really think, I think, you know, I think both Lakes Michigan and Lake Ontario have really strong populations. I think the Kings are coming back in Lake Michigan. I mean, the size of the Kings last year was fantastic, you know, all, you know, all, all around the lake. I think your coho population is super strong. Um, the steelhead are going to be whatever they're going to be because they're kind of a mystery. Um, and there's plenty of lake trout. So I, I think we're in a good spot right now. I do. I think they're increasing the stockings too, right? Well, that doesn't hurt. Yeah, I've seen some uh, yeah increase. Yeah. That that should help. That's really yeah. good. So. People want to find out more about you. Find out where those books are. Find out how they get the coaching. How do they reach you? Yeah, you can reach me through uh, obviously through Facebook on my Dan Keating page or at my website www.captaindankeating.com. So um, that's where you can reach me. Awesome. Appreciate right. you driving down to see us. All right. Thanks good for having me. Thanks for doing this. Next to me, and we'll we'll have to do this again. Right. But very Thank good. You, sir. Good seeing you. All right. Captain Dan Keating, uh, thanks Thank again you. for coming in and hanging out with us on the show. Thanks for listening to the Great Lakes Fishing Podcast presented by Fishhawk Electronics. For more information on fishing the Great Lakes, visit our blog at fishhawkelectronics.com.